Well, friends, um, we are so thankful for um, for you and for the ways that you have you make Pine Lake who it is today. Uh, and this morning, we uh, are just so excited to continue in um, our series that we are uh, talking and walking through Philippians and talking about what does it look like for be, to be people that are joyful. Uh, Philippians is often talked as the book that is all about Paul's joy, not only in Christ, but also in the people at Philippi. And one of the things that we have as a core distinctive of is we don't just like to, to gather together, to worship together, and then just sit passively. We talk about being active active participants, and also being in relationship. And the way that we do that is right at the beginning. We give you a, a time uh, and space to go and to get to know one another and to ask each other's questions because really that's the way that you start friendships and relationships. You ask questions. And so instead of you trying to figure out how or what question to ask, we give you a prompt. And the prompt this morning uh, comes out of like Philippians and Paul is in prison. And so we have this like kind of morbid question, but it's interesting. What would your last meeting be if you could eat anything anything what would your last meal be so i want to encourage you over the next five minutes to go in the back there's uh coffee tea pastries um and get to know one another and ask these questions i'll see you back in five minutes yes well this is uh fun i actually heard some really really good ones uh some some nice last meals some are a little weird but some of them like I mean, I could get it. I could get it. If you want to know a little bit about me, I'm from Texas, and the last thing that I would love to eat is a little bit of chicken fried steak and street tacos. You know one thing they would go together, but if you've never been to Texas, you go to a restaurant that has both on the menu, I promise you can order anything, and it'll be delicious. Uh, not a lot of places can pull that off. And um, so this morning, uh, we're in the third week of our series on joy, and we there's something that's been lingering around in my head, and we're talking about finances a lot. That's there's no reason behind that. It's, you know, God has got the There's no coincidences. But there's a thing, a phrase that goes, is you shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket. Why is that? Like, I mean, all of y'all know that. And how many people are finance people in here? Yeah, that's what I thought. But right, like, so everybody's like, ha, 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 right? Some of you who I know are finance people didn't raise your hand. We'll talk about that later. Uh, you're like, oh, don't call me out. But financing, like, in, in this world where you talk about, let's not put all of your eggs in one basket. Because what you what happens is, is you put in all your risk and finances into one pot. And if something happens to that pot, you are left. Right? Anybody seen It's a Wonderful Life? Right? When they take all that money in that envelope and he loses it? Right? Now the Bailey savings loan is gone. Right? And so you talk about, don't put all of your eggs in one bucket. And some people do that even too. Like, in relationships, they're like, hey, don't always just be with like one friend. Like, spread it out a little bit. Spread your risk so that when somebody disappoints you in life or something disappoints you in life, you have stuff other places that you can lean back on. And so it's like, right, what we talk about is, don't, don't sit here and just put all of your eggs in one basket, right? Because if you lose this or some kid, I'm glad the kids are gone because if they stole this, they would come steal it, right? Like somebody's going to come and take it and you're going to be left with nothing. But this morning, it's really interesting um, that we talk about all of your um, eggs in one basket because when we hear this narrative and we all have heard the saying and we all know it and so subconsciously it sits in here, it, it impacts the way in which you live. 
right? It impacts the way in which you as human beings interact in the space that you interact, whether it's at your home, whether it's out uh, in relationships and in friendships, if it is in just uh, your financial life, is that we begin to live this out by putting and spreading our um, things. And even, like I would say, Israel does this as well, right? Israel, God's people, takes them out of Egypt, says, you are my people and my people alone. With you, I will establish a relationship. And from you, everybody in the world will know. And then what do they do? Before this is even a phrase, they get into the promised land and they start depositing their eggs or their coins in other gods in the promised land. How much, like, have we reflected in our own life? Do we live this uh, out? We decided to deposit in other places because the risk we feel might be too great. So this morning, Paul talks about this uh, in what does it look like to be a joyful person. And the big idea this morning that we're talking about is this. A joyful life is a response to a joyful hope. Paul is talking about where and how we have a joyful life, and it resides out of the hope that he finds in Christ. So if you'll join me uh, in Philippians chapter 1, if you want to open your Bibles, if you have one physically in front of you, whether it's uh, like physical like this or digital, we always encourage you and to look and to read with us. Um, if you don't have that, it's all right. You'll be on the screen as well. This is uh, Philippians 1, verse 19 through 26. And remember, last week we talked about this, and he goes, And in this I rejoice. You have to remember that. We said it's a two-parter. So he ends in 18 guys. And this is how I rejoice, because the gospel is at work in you and through you. And then he says this. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will not in any, in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to, for to me, to live is, to, is Christ, and to die is gain. If I'm going on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ which is far, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that be, that through my being with you, again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Would you join me in prayer this morning? Father, we um, come to you asking that you would send the Holy Spirit to fill this place, to see where we have come from, what we bring with us, our stories, our relationship with you, our hurts, our joys, and everything in between. And God, I pray that you would hold them and honor them. God, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear that we come not just to experience you, We come to know you. We come to love you. God, have your way this morning with us. May our words be your words. We ask this in your name. Amen. Friends, um, a uh, a fictional character 
uh, in a book that you uh, probably will figure out if you've read it, uh, said this wise phrase. He said, don't pity the dead, Harry. Pity the living. If you didn't get it, it's all right. Uh, but no, it's an interesting thing. When I hear that, when I watch that many times, when it comes on TV and I'm just running through that series, that line always hits me. And it's towards the end of the end of the book series. And he says, don't pity the dead, Harry. Pity the living. And it makes me think of Paul's words here. And they ring in my head because right now, Paul is is talking to the, to the Philippians and saying, hey, I'm battled between these things. And this is, and I'm going to tell you honestly, I've been battling with this this week. Um, as well, because the reality is, if we take Paul for what it is, for what he says is true, and what we know from Christ to be true in his death and his resurrection, our joy is founded in one thing. That the end is just the beginning. And how much if you just stop right now? How many of us ever, like, contemplate that. I know there's a season where we have lost people and we contemplate it, but this is a thing that doesn't really come up. Yeah, Paul's in prison. Yeah, he is shackled up and he is um, wondering if he's going to die in prison, but he wants to come back. But he does this in the midst of it. He is, he is contemplating his own morality and he says this. I don't know which is better. I desire to depart and to be with God, but I also know that I'm supposed to be here with you. And how many of us in our life right now that we do really begin to reflect on the truth that is the beginning, the end is just the beginning. The end of this life is just the beginning. And I, and Paul and his other legends, I want this to sink into you because this is not like the only time Paul brings this up, but this is, he brings this up in, uh, 1 Corinthians and a book to Corinthians, but it also is taken back from Hosea in the Old Testament. So Paul isn't bringing a new thing. He's bringing a truth and a reality that God had gave the people of Israel that they had passed down from generation to generation to this moment. And Paul is saying to the new Christians in, in Corinth, and he also says this here in this. He says in 1 Corinthians, he says, this. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But the power, but thanks be to God, he gives us victory through Jesus Christ. Friends, this is one of the the, uh, parts that gives me not only great hope, but makes me think about it. When I reflect on my life, do I reflect on my life and how things are going, or do I live in my life in the way that it's going to live and going to be? Our hope is not just in the reality that God makes this life better. But our hope resides that this life is just the beginning. That it pales in comparison of the life that we are going to have and redeemed in Christ when we meet him face to face. We no longer have to fear death because it no longer has the final say. But how many of us still in, in the corners and the dark places of our mind and our heart that we actually do still fear death? I'm one of them. But I also have gone to funerals and memorials where there is no hope. And can I tell you the saddest thing is to go into a place where there is no hope, where they believe that this is the end and there's nothing afterwards. But how often do I think about that in my own life? That I walk into that place and I feel that despair. I feel that hopelessness. And yet... 
I still live as this, as this is the best thing ever. Right? We hear it all the time. YOLO, you only live once. Right? That phrase came on and so everybody's like buying into that. Even Christians like, hey, you only live once, which means right now you need to do whatever you can, take whatever trip you want to do, whatever you need to do. Because you only live once. Live it up. Live it up. Live it to the moment, right? And we sit here and we live in a way that this is what we're living for. Trust me, friends, I don't want to die. I want to see my kids grow. Like, I don't know, maybe any of you, like, our, uh, we, like, sent our kids away. Right, one's in Canada, one's at camp, and then one was at the grandparents. And Ashley and I went out and had a wonderful day. A wonderful day. Ah, oh, it was glorious. We made a terrible decision. If you're ever thinking about Viking Vashon Island, don't. It's horrible. Uh, no, but it's good. Man, you just need to have a really good seat and know that you're going to be on it for hours. But really, like, this thing is like, I live this life. I saw something beautiful that I had never seen before. And we get into this place of like, man, there's so much goodness in this world. There's so much I want to see. There's so much I want to experience, not only around seeing life, but also experience it with my spouse, experience with my kids. My son came in this morning and I was like, I missed you. Family, hear me. I don't, I want to see my kids grow up, go to college, get married, have a life, have their own kids, be a granddad. Like, I want to do all these things. But coming to this text needs to, causes me to stop and say, do I live my life as if the next one isn't best? Like, sometimes I think about that, that we believe like the life to come is better, but maybe only a little bit better. It's only a little bit better. So what we do is we say like, hey, I'm going to deposit some of my stuff into, into Christ. Like that's the thing is like in here, like we're going to do this. Is that we're going to have, I'm going to, I got, I got some more. And so we've come to find Christ and we deposit like maybe one or two as a safety net and then everything else is in life. Because we need a get out of jail free card. We need a membership card that when we go to Jesus, we like pull out our wallet and we like flip through it. Maybe you have like a wallet that has a lot of stuff you should probably put at the beginning. And you go up to Jesus and you're like, hey, hey, I got it. Or maybe like you're at church and it's a Sunday school answer. When you go up and you see whoever's the, the bouncer at the, at the pearly gates and you're like, what's the password? And you're like, Jesus. And they're like, good job, good job, Right? But we do that in order that we say, like, man, life here is really good, and the life to come is just a little bit better. So how do we resonate with Paul, who says, I actually prefer to leave, to die. To be with Christ is not just a little bit better. It is best. Your pastor here this morning says, I struggle with that. I look at my kids, I look at my wife, I look at y'all, and I go, I don't know. This is really hard. But friends, I think that the life to come, and not that I know what's going to happen or what it looks like, because I don't know yet. But you know what gives me reassurance? You know what I look at when I go and find out, like, how do I know that this is not only better, but it is best? I go look back at the beginning of the story. 
I look back before sin and death actually entered into the life that we live today. And I look at this relationship that Adam and Eve and all of creation had with God. And it was beautiful. It was perfect. It was the way that it was meant to be. That there was life in God. There was him life in us. There wasn't this separation that we walked hand in hand together with Christ. And there, there was harmony and peace within all of God's creation. That it lived and it was good. I don't know what it's going to look like in the future, but I know what it looked like in the past. And I know that our God is one who is redeeming all things. And so if that is what I see and know, and that the goodness of God existed before sin and death entered in the world, I have to hold on to the fact that that is not, that this life that we live now, tainted by sin and death, is actually not better than the one that's yet to come. It actually pales in comparison. And so my desire, my desire is to live a life knowing that what happens next is the best thing that's ever going to happen to me. And so how do we live in response? If what is next is really good, the best thing that could ever happen to you, that to say with Paul, I have no qualms about dying because I know that I get to be finally with Christ, taken away from death, taken away from sin, taken away from struggles and temptations, and I get to live in this uh, redeemed, made new body, in this new life, and be with Christ. Well, then Paul says, if I must still live, if I remain here in the body, to live is to Christ, is Christ. That right now, If you still have breath in your lungs, in your life, it means that God's not done with you. It means that your life is not lived for your own means and own measure. That our joyful hope that we have in the future impacts your life today. Your joyful hope brings joyful and fruitful lives. Like your life, because you know that the the end is just the beginning and that you hold on to the hope that what you have is not only good for later, it's not only good for a get out of free card, jail card, if you have a membership card, or have a certification of saved card, what it actually does is that sure hope, that sure foundation that I know that I have been redeemed by God's death and his resurrection, that his grace and mercy has been given to me, not because I deserve it, but because I put my full hope in Christ. That I have a sure foundation in redemption and renewal. It now means that you live fruitful lives. And you labor and you labor so that the fruit of your life may give glory and honor to God. So what does that mean? When we talk about being fruitful, like I will say this, we're all fruitful. We're all producing fruit. But the question is, what type of fruit are you producing? Are you producing fruit of your life because what your passions are is things in this world that you are passionate about, success, about um, just the the things of this world, and so thus you produce fruit that are temporary. You produce fruit that get consumed and then spit out. And so then you are at a constant push in your life to, to bear that same fruit over and over and over again because it's not permanent, it's temporal. Or is it this idea that Paul's talking about is that because of the hope that I have and that all my eggs are in one basket, 
that I begin to bear fruit of Christ. It might seem simple, but I want to remind us that the breath that we have in our lungs is made for a purpose. What we do from day to day has purpose. And your purpose, you might have heard it a long time, but it's easy to forget. It's one of Jesus' last words to his disciples, to say, hey, I'm going to go and now be away. And you're kind of scared about that. And you're trying to figure out now, what do you do in my absence? That's our question today. What do we do in the absence if we're still living and we haven't gone and been reunited with Christ? Well, it's here in Matthew. It's his last words. He says this. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Friends, if you have breath in your lungs, the purpose of your life, because you know that what you, the, the sure foundation, the hope that you have, means that you are supposed to live fruitful lives. Lives that produce food, that go and that you are being made as a disciple, and then you are making disciples. That the fruit you bear is not temporary, but eternal. That the people that engage with you aren't just only satisfied for a moment with the joy that maybe you bring, but because you bring Christ into their life, that you are bearing fruit for which lasts a lifetime. That you have purpose. You have meaning. And that if you find your hope in Christ, that means you find your life in Christ. And your life is meant for one thing. Here. To give glory to God by becoming a disciple that fully is devoted and in love with Jesus Christ. And then to go make disciples who know and do the same thing. It's not hard and it's not simple. That's literally what Paul says. If I'm going to stay here, the fruitful labor is going to be kingdom labor. Labor. The fruitful labor is going to be me saying, I'm going to be in your world, and I'm going to give the qualities and the fruit of grace and peace and joy, love, patience. These are the fruits that I'm going to bear with you so that you can come close to the God who is the source of all that. All that joy, all that love, all that peace, that patience, that kindness. And you will engage the goodness of God through the fruit that's born in my life so that you might have hope. I don't know about you, but this is like, this hits me hard. Because it's one thing to say it and it's another thing to do it. Can I just say that as your pastor? It's one thing to sit up here and say it, and it's one thing to do it. For me to live a life with my spouse, to live a life with my kids, to live life with you as a church, it's one thing to stand up here and say, this is the truth of God's words. This is the center of what we're aiming at, but I miss it all the time. But my life has one point. is to take all of this that I've been putting up in my life, all the eggs in my basket. And what it means to be a follower of Jesus is to start putting all my eggs in one basket. Like, I don't know about you, but where yours is, but like, this is it. All my eggs are in one basket. And you might be like, man, that's a stupid move. That's super risky. 
And people ask the same question. But how do you know? Like, maybe you're risking it. I would risk it all on a God who loves me and gives me grace and mercy. Then the hope is that I can deposit enough in my life to do enough to save myself. So I put all my eggs, all my eggs in Christ. And some of you might be like, well, then that means like it's boring. Like I read that, like I have to go through, I have to obey, I have to become a disciple. What I'm telling you is one thing is like when I, when you put all of your eggs in Christ, life isn't boring. Life is now full because the source of the life that you live right now comes from a person. So when you put all your eggs in basket, you're not living a life that's boring and stale. You're living a life that's good. One that you couldn't even dare dream or imagine because now you have all in on Christ. This is literally why we do baptisms. Baptism is a public declaration of I have taken all of the eggs that I've in my life and I've all put it in Christ. There's nothing else. I'm not doing a reserve. I'm not like taking out and be like, how? oh, this just can't. How many of us do this, right? Like, we put all of our eggs in basket, and then life starts to happen, and you're like, hey, can I have this back, Jesus? Can, can you give me this back? Because I'm not so sure about this. Or I'd like to place it somewhere else. But this is what we do in baptize, baptism. It's we have come and seen Jesus face to face. We've looked at him and said, your love has transformed me. The life that I used to live is no longer the life that I live. Now my life is lived for Christ. And so thus everything that I do, everything that I'm involved in, everything is filtered through Christ. And so I'm publicly displaying as brothers and sisters in Christ now, will you help me continue to put all my eggs, all my resources into Christ? For where my heart is, There will be my treasure. My question to you is, and this morning, that's Paul saying is, where's our treasure? Where's the joy that you're finding? Are you finding joy in Christ? Or are you finding joy in the life that you're trying to live? And I'm telling you, if you're sitting there going, man, I'm trying to put eggs and all my resources into life, or just some of them, but I'm still disappointed. My challenge to you, and my, and my just, how about you just take all your resources, and go all in on Jesus. I just wonder if you stopped pulling a reserve into your own life and you deposited it all into Christ. Whatever worries or fears you have that might be disappointed because like, you have nothing left over for yourself, take a chance. Put it all in and see what God begins to do in your life. I'm not saying that he's going to fix everything, but when we talk about joy, this is how you live life, in, in joy in your life, in the midst of all those things. Is that since becoming a follower of Jesus, my life has not gotten ex- exponentially better, but it has gotten expen- expen- ugh, it's gotten exponentially more joyful. Because I hope that I have that what I'm living right now is not the best. It allows me to live in the present knowing that the best is with me now. And that my job is to share that truth with everybody that comes in contact. Not only with the words that I speak, but the way that I live. Friends, I don't know if I could sit up here and say to you, 
I desire to depart to be with Christ. But I can't say the second part. As long as I'm here, as long as I'm here, my commitment is to bear fruit so that you might know you might find and follow Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, I... Father, you're speaking. You're not a God who waits for us to be in the perfect spot to hear your word. You are always speaking. God, right now, would you send the Holy Spirit to attune our ears? God, would you allow us to take inventory this morning? God, where in our life are we holding back? Because we don't know if you're, you're the best thing that has ever happened. Because life is really good. And we want to hold on to it for as long as we can. God, where in our life are you calling us to let go? To fully trust? To fully surrender? God, I wonder right now, not in a way to convince us, but just an invitation to look upon your son. Your son who came and lived the life that we were supposed to live. One holy, devout, and faithful to you. God, and that he willingly died the death that we deserved. And that he rose again to offer us forgiveness, reconciliation, redemption, back into the family of God. Maybe we just need to stop and gaze again on the wonderful cross and its goodness. To step back from maybe the rules, the regulations, the requirements that we feel are so heavy and just look upon the cross. The cross is our hope. but that Jesus isn't still up there. He is resurrected. He is alive. He is actively working in the world to restore and redeem all things. So God, we look at the cross and we say thank you. Thank you that you sent your son on our behalf. God, let us know 
instill in us the truth. That no matter how many days I live on this earth, you are far better than anything I could dare dream or hope for. That I could dare dream or create for myself. That you're it. We ask this in your name. Amen.